Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, from my house in San Francisco and from Matt Barrows' house down in San Jose. Matt, how's it going? I know that we're, we're keeping our distance right now. We're a little bit further than six feet apart. I think we're like 50 miles apart, but uh, it sounds like you're in the room with me. Yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm six inches from my microphone. Um, I don't think we can spread the coronavirus uh, over the air, but... Um, yeah, to me, this shelter in place order is a lot like free agency where you just kind of hunker down in front of your computer and you basically hit refresh on your Twitter a million times a day. So uh, my lifestyle hasn't changed, although, um, I appreciate that a lot of people's have, and, uh, we wish all of you, uh, you know, very safe, uh, shelter in place and, um, we hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, same for me. And can I offer a recommendation, not just to you, but to a lot of people who use Twitter? TweetDeck. Have you heard of TweetDeck? It, oh, it's yeah. an app. Yeah. And that way you don't have to refresh. That way all I know. the news I, just I, scrolls for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know about TweetDeck. I was, I, I was just uh, creating a more pathetic scene than, than maybe I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the- it's, it's not that much beyond reality, though. Yeah, I mean, it, we have been doing what we normally do at this time of the year. And, uh, you know, for us, it's actually not much of a change. For all other sports reporters, it's a huge change because every other sport has been canceled. So the NBA is not happening. The MLB is not happening. People have flown home from spring training. I mean, it's just wild in the other sports. But for football, this is the time of the year where – you do hunker down, you do get on Twitter, and you get on the phones, and you just wait for that news to come out, and that's exactly what has happened over the first two days of this week through Monday and Tuesday. That was the legal tampering period. Now, today, Wednesday, free agency has officially opened, so um, it, it, you know all that news is flooding in electronically. The changes for us will come uh, moving forward. For example, I was supposed to head down to the owners' meetings in Palm Beach, Florida, those aren't happening. That was supposed to be at the end of the month and, and the start of April. Who knows if the, the spring meeting or all of the owners' meetings uh, business was supposed to happen. Uh, those are supposed to happen a little bit later in L.A. Who knows if that will happen because everything seems to be getting pushed back right now. So we're just in all this uncertainty, and, and it does seem like the offseason program is going to get shifted back as well. But for now, I guess all we can do is live in the present, right? We can only analyze what's happening in front of us, and, and we're all just taking it one day at a time, and it's been a busy couple days on that front. Yeah, and the question uh, moving forward will be what happens with the draft, and it looks as if the draft will happen as scheduled. Uh, there, there probably won't be, or I know there won't be, uh, a big party, a big gathering in Las Vegas, a big show like they usually have. And then the uh, the, the official 30 visits in the, in the pro day workouts those have both been scuttled too. So that's something that uh, that readers, uh, you know, are used to in the run up to the draft. Which prospects are visiting the team? Which uh, which uh, teams are interested in attending workouts and whatnot? That's not going to happen. Um, they will have video conferences. So instead of reporting on official thirty visits in Santa Clara, uh, my guess is that the 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 rage in you know first couple of weeks in April will be. Uh, the 49ers had the following visit, uh, uh, 
video conferences with uh, with Jerry Judy or some other uh, prospects in this draft. So that uh, that might be a change to to look forward to if you're you're interested in the draft. I wonder which software they're going to use. They use FaceTime on their iPhones, so they're going to use Skype. I think that'd be kind of old school. Or they'll probably use FaceTime and put it up on an overhead projector in the draft room. Uh, it would be super neat to get video of that and, and, you know, just to see how that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because, you know, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are, are not supposed to, you know, the, the letter of the, the shelter-in-place uh, policy is that, you know, guys like that are not supposed to be working together. Oh, so, yeah. So the is there a technology is that allows them, and I think there is, that at least those two guys, the two principals um, in the 49ers do have technology in their homes that allow them to video conference at the at the same time so that they, they could both be watching a, a cut up of Jerry Judy um, against the uh, Auburn Tigers, and they both could be watching the same thing from their respective homes and uh, communicating and, you know, kind of going over stuff like that. So um, I doubt, however, that everybody on the on Shanahan staff, Wes Welker, um, you know, Bobby Turner, all those guys ha- have that, has that technology installed. So uh, that might be a, a good story just on how you know, how technology is helping them get through this coronavirus pause. Yeah. yeah yesterday, I was sitting on my couch after dinner, and it, it, I thought it was pretty neat. I, I didn't realize you could do this, but the, I, I knew you could FaceTime one person, but I was able to FaceTime two people at once. So it, it split my screen up into uh, two boxes, and I saw one of my friends at the top and another friend at the bottom, and, and we were having a three-way call. And I think you could even add more onto it. I know that's not as sophisticated as being able to watch the same film as as, as the general manager or the head coach, but uh, some of that technology, you know, to, to converse in groups does already exist in our pockets. It's pretty neat. So if you have an iPhone, check it out. In these times, you can have little fun group gatherings on your phone. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's definitely a, a bizarre new time. We don't know how long exactly that's going to last. This may last for, for a while. It may last longer than you know, these initial closures that are supposed to run through early uh, April. So we'll do our best to keep you guys entertained, to keep you abreast of all the football news during that time. And there has been a lot of it for the 49ers here through two days of the legal tampering period. Nine transactions in total, which I'll just briefly run through right now to set the table. On Monday, they started by Re-signing Eric Armstead, that was obviously huge news. Five years, up to $85 million, $45.8 million in guaranteed money, and about $35 million in fully guaranteed money. I'm not exactly sure on that last number, but the, it, it was in the 30s for the fully guaranteed money, $45.8 million in the guaranteed money. Almost immediately after, or maybe a couple hours, right, there wasn't much of a gap, though. Armstead's former Oregon teammate and obviously former 49ers teammate, now DeForest Buckner, was traded to the Indianapolis Colts. The 49ers got the number 13 overall pick in this year's draft as a return, and and Buckner turned around and signed a huge deal worth up to $21 million annually with Indianapolis. So those were the two big moves to start things off on Monday and then later in the day Jimmy Ward signed a three-year 28.5 million dollar deal with the 49ers so they were able to keep their starting free safety after Jimmy Ward 
Um, we got into some pay cut news. Uh, Jarek McKinnon took a pay cut to stay with the 49ers. Otherwise, he would have been cut. That saved the 49ers about $3.6 million against this year's cap. The 49ers also uh, offered uh, second-round tenders to Kendrick Bourne and Matt Breida, uh, thereby not quite ensuring, but uh, making it very likely that those two will be 49ers, uh, at least through this offseason. Those tenders cost them a little bit more than $3 million apiece. They also were able to re-sign defensive lineman Ronald Blair, which might be a sneaky big win for the 49ers. Details of that move are not yet available, although it is a one-year deal. We just don't know the financials. And then a a couple smaller offensive line deals, but also ones that may be potentially impactful, especially if uh, this 2020 season proceeds the way the 2019 season did. Swing tackle Sean Coleman re-signed on a one-year deal with the 49ers. Remember, he was hurt last year, but... That could be big for the 49ers as far as depth up front. And uh, along those lines, uh, this just happened a few minutes ago. Center Ben Garland, the backup there, but uh, a guy who was definitely needed after Western Richburg went down in 2019. He re-signed on a $2.25 million deal. So that's nine moves for the 49ers, Matt. I know it took a little while to go through all of them, but that illustrates what we've been doing for the past few days there's been a lot going on, but the general theme, aside from the fact that they traded DeForest Buckner, has been keeping the band together. Yeah, and that was what they set out to do this offseason. And, uh, you know, you look at that defense that, that finished number two in the NFL, number one in the NFC, and uh, you, you see that uh, 10 out of the 11 guys are, are returning. So in that regard, it's, uh, you know, job well done. That, that 11th guy, however— is a pretty big guy, and and that's what I think we should we should talk about. Um, you know, I, I I think that there's there's no question that DeForest Buckner has been the better of the two players between him and Eric Armstead. Uh, you know, that's why he got uh, the the higher contract. Um, but the the question is, or the question that the 49ers had to ask themselves is getting Armstead. Um, and creating some salary cap that, that may allow may have allowed you to bring back Jimmy Ward, plus getting the the number 13 overall pick from the Colts, that obviously for them outweighed um, what they could have gotten on in an alternate plan, which was to have Buckner back. You might not have had Ward or, or some other guy back, and you may have gotten a second-round pick for, for Armstead. Uh, instead of uh, the first rounder that you got for uh, for DeForest Buckner, so um, that that was the 49ers' conclusion. I mean, uh, we're going to have to wait a while to see whether it was the correct conclusion. I'm not uh, so sure. I'm 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 willing to wait before I, uh, I I I judge, and I think we all should. But my my initial reaction was, wow, uh, DeForest Buckner really epitomized everything that. John Lynch and, and this team said that they were shooting for as far as the locker room, as far as the culture, uh, as durable as you'll ever find anyone in this league where we're writing about injuries uh, 365 days of the year. So um, it's, a, it's a big risk. It's, it was an aggressive move, um, but I think it, it comes with uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of gamble. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts your opinions on on that big uh on the big trade well i think two numbers stand out to me that really summarize the opposing viewpoints here the first number is 1006 that's the amount of snaps 
that DeForest Buckner took as a rookie in 2016. And that is an absurd amount of snaps. And the workload didn't really ease up on him over the next three years either. The 49ers needed him a lot. He was at 850-plus over each of the next three years. But it, it was so crazy in 2016 when the 49ers were depleted up front and Buckner came in as a rookie that he had to take over 1,000. And it, that was so nuts that it, it caused Robert Sala, who didn't take over until the defensive coordinator until the next year, until 2017, Robert Sala said that it was criminal to have allowed DeForest Buckner to play over 1,000 snaps in 2016, as a rookie especially. But even throughout that massive workload, DeForest Buckner was just a stable fixture. I mean, he was the epitome of durability. So that's why that 1006 number stands out to me. I mean, this is a guy that you, you you won't be able to replace with just one player. You'd have to get an Aaron Donald type, which the 49ers obviously won't get this year to to replace him with one guy. And it, it I think that his impact is tough to quantify just because of how tough he was and because he did bring that that force of stability to the middle of the 49ers defensive line. So yes, that's you know, that's all stuff that the 49ers are losing with DeForest Buckner, and they immediately, on paper, become a worse football team without him. Okay, now the other number is $21 million. That's why DeForest Buckner is no longer with the 49ers. He signed the contract with the Colts, which is worth up to $21 million annually, which is just too much money for the 49ers to justify at this point, especially considering the fact that Eric Armstead was able to be retained at a contract worth only $17 million annually. So that that's a big difference. That $4 million gap right there is a huge difference when you consider that the 49ers are pretty close to the cap. In fact, after all the moves I listed earlier, they only have about $9 million left to spend right now. So you can see how $4 million is a huge deal. Add that to the fact that DeForest Buckner was able to fetch a high first rounder Eric Armstead wouldn't have been able to fetch a first rounder. I think we can all agree on that. So add, add all that together with the fact that Eric Armstead is a versatile inside-out guy who better fits the 49ers scheme just from an X's and O's perspective. And I think the 49ers said, okay, all of these things outweigh the fact that Buckner may be a better player talent-wise on paper, but Armstead just fits this situation both from a schematic standpoint and from a monetary standpoint, better. Plus, we get that first-round pick. It's not an Armstead versus Buckner proposition, as you said, Matt. This is an Armstead and a ton of financial and draft benefits versus Buckner, who would have been more expensive proposition. That's the calculus that the 49ers were weighing, and that's why they picked Armstead here. Yeah, It's interesting from a positional standpoint, too. Um, I, I think we've established that, you know, uh, Head to head, Buckner's probably the better player, but um, Armstead played a very unique position for this team. He was uh, the strong side defensive end uh, who, who played that really well, um, and uh, he was able to move inside to defensive tackle on on passing downs, and he played that very well. All ten of his sacks came as an interior rusher, um, and uh, you know I, I'm not saying that. Uh, DeForest Buckner is replaceable, but that three technique spot, there there are always a lot of guys, and, and you see that in, in free agency right now. I don't have the list in front of me. I wish I did, but I was going over it today, and just all the names that are still available 
um, Dominican Sue, Linville Joseph. Uh, there's a whole litany of guys that play that spot. And a lot of them are older and a lot of them are, are free agents for a reason. But my point is, is that even in the draft, there are always a lot of good three techniques. Finding somebody like Armstead, uh, who has edge rush ability, who can rush from the inside, that's, that's a pretty rare thing. Um, and uh, I, I don't think that the 49ers thought that they could duplicate that in the draft this year. They certainly couldn't duplicate it on their team. Um, you, you would have had to you know, have a whole rotation of guys, uh, some guys playing in, some guys playing on the inside, nobody who's a real fill-in for Armstead. And, and there isn't one for DeForest Buckner either, but I think that the 49ers felt more confident that they could find somebody to kind of you know, play that spot. They're not going to play it at DeForest Buckner's uh, uh, level. But uh, the other spot, the one that Ar- Eric Armstead plays, I should say spots, plural, uh, might have been harder for them to fill. Yeah. And, you know, let's uh, – the 49ers based a lot of this on 2019 performance, obviously, because if you base this, you know, on the cumulative four or five years between these two guys, obviously the DeForest Buckner – was the more stable fixture. I mean, he was basically a star from day one from the 49ers, especially in 2017, his second year, he blossomed. But it, it took Armstead some time because he fought through injuries in 2015, 16, and then 17 before finally playing a couple full seasons of healthy football in 2018 and 2019. And that's when he took off. And 2019 was really the year where Armstead played like a star. So the 49ers are gambling on that 2019 performance being the one that Armstead repeats going forward instead of seeing him regress to, uh, you know, the inconsistency fueled by injuries as a youngster. But in 2019, boy, he was good at a lot of different stuff, which I think is really important. You already alluded to the inside-out aspect of his game, Matt. I mean, I talk about Buckner playing over 1,000 snaps in 16. Well, Armstead's snap count was 912 this past year. He proved remarkably durable, and he was playing about half of those inside and half of those outside. That's big, but let's remember the screen pass defense. I think that Armstead was the 49ers' best screen defender this year, not just because of the speed that he showed in space, but also because of the awareness that he showed chasing guys down. He was able to sniff out whenever opponents used that screen pass, and that's something the 49ers are going to have to get used to because they, they have great edge rushers, they're going to get to the quarterback, even with or without Buckner. I think this is the team that's going to get pressure. But if you don't have a guy that can be a good stack monster up front, you know, the, the, the lineman that turns into the screen pursuer, um, you're going to be losing a lot, and teams are going to start gashing you with those screen passes. So I think that it was the totality of the arsenal that Armstead displayed in 2019 that, that made the 49ers really fall in love with this guy. And, and obviously, they got to hope it continues. But do not discount the importance of his value as a screen defender as well. Yeah, and they've got two good stack monsters in, in Bosa and, and Eric Armstead. And the, the last piece of the puzzle that I think is important is that, you know, Armstead allows you to use D Ford exactly how he should be used, which is uh, as, a, uh, as a, a pure speed edge rusher who comes in on, uh, on pass downs and, and, frankly, who doesn't play uh, a whole abundance of snaps uh, a game and, and throughout the season. Uh, I think that's very important to to maximize your your D Ford, and they they've already made a a, a big investment in getting D Ford, and uh, you know maybe this is the the wrong logic to use that 
that they're trying to make uh, what what may have turned out to be a bad investment, we don't know, uh, look good. But my point being is that they've got D Ford. They've given the second round pick for him. They paid him a lot of money. He's eating up a lot of the salary cap. Uh, and Eric Armstead uh, helps you uh, or allows you to use him uh, in the most ideal way, which is, you know, once Eric Armstead slides inside, D Ford comes onto the field as that outside edge rusher. So, um, we, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. What you said uh, initially is, is probably the, the bottom line here is that defensive line is not as good today as it was uh, a couple of days ago. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't keep everybody together uh, long uh, term. We haven't even mentioned George Kittle's name yet. That's, that's going to be a name that does get mentioned quite a bit <laughs> in the coming weeks, coming months, when that deal gets done. So, um, you know, they, they had to make a, uh, a gutsy move, and uh, uh, we shall see whether it pays off or not. Yeah, you, you lose the talent of Buckner immediately, but you earn capital, both financial and draft capital that you hope to use to improve the team. And you hope that the improvements that you make with the new capital outweigh the loss and talent that you get from Buckner. So immediately the team is worse, but if the 49ers hit with the number 13 overall pick, or if they turn that into other picks through a trade and hit on those and the talent that comes in as a result outweighs what they lost with Buckner, then you could say it was a good trade, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things that you have to be patient about. And another thing from the financial perspective here, because the 49ers were able to free up some cap space, which is something they absolutely needed to do because at $21 million a year, they, they wouldn't have been able to afford Buckner and Armstead uh, and then anybody else. They, they would just have had to stick with those two guys. So that would have definitely made them worse. But uh, they're also saving money in the future because – First, they saved $12.4 million this year because Buckner was under contract on the fifth-year option. That immediately came off the books when he was traded to Indianapolis. But those 20 to $25 million cap hits that Buckner is now incurring for the Colts in the future, those will not be on the 49ers' books moving forward. And I just have to say that this Eric Armstead deal may impact more edge rushers than just D Ford. And I'm talking about edge rushers that aren't on the 49ers roster right now. And just to dangle a carrot out there for some listeners, there's a guy who may become a free agent as soon as next year. And his name, he has a relative on the 49ers. His name is Joey Bosa. And you cannot rule out the 49ers making a hard charge at Joey Bosa if he is indeed a free agent next year. Guess what? They're not able to do that if they sign both Buckner and Armstead this offseason. So by staying away from the huge contract for Buckner, the 49ers have some money to work with, especially if the salary cap balloons next season, as it's projected to do. They have some money to go after some really big fish in the future if they don't stick with D Ford past this season. So I'm just throwing it out there, but this is a very future forward-facing move that the 49ers are making where the benefits will potentially come down the road. Maybe not exactly today. Maybe they'll start coming in the draft with that 13th pick, and maybe they'll start coming a year from now when the 49ers have a little bit more money to spend, possibly on a guy like Joey Bosa. So you're starting a Tom Brady-like rumor. Uh, Joey Bosa to 49ers. I love it. That's going to catch fire. Everybody's going to be uh, hitting the, the, the talk show circuit um, talking about the, the Bosa brothers on the edges. If, if that happens, David, you have to – Promise that you'll refer to the um, the defense as the Bosa constrictors. 
I want that to be the new defensive nickname if that comes to pass. Well, I mean, you'll get the trademark on it. It's, <laughs> it's on the record now. Everybody's heard it. That's a great one. Both coming in from the edge, constricting the pocket. You're right. It makes it, it makes so much sense. Oh, that well, I, I love that idea. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, it, it gives him a little bit more wiggle room. And, you know, th- th- this 13th overall pick will be pivotal, too. How do they use that? You know, how does that guy... Uh, end up uh, you know, performing over the years. I mean, if it's Jerry Judy and in a Kyle Sh- Shanahan offense, he becomes the second coming of, I don't know, uh, A.J. Green or, or whoever, um, th- this will, they'll, they'll look back at, at this as, a, as an ingenious move. Um, so uh, the, the conclusion lies in the future. We'll have to wait several years, but um, it uh, it was a very interesting move, and, and like I said, it'll be one that we'll be uh, reflecting back on quite a bit, I think. We may see the 49ers draft a three technique, and we'll have a draft preview show later to, to go over different possibilities. We may see them sign somebody off the bargain bin, you know, somebody who, who might have used to be a star. You just mentioned a, a few names who are still available. Or we might see them just go purely in-house here. I'm not really sure how they want to do this. Obviously, they are limited as far as the financial resources go with only the $9 million in cap space. But assuming, you know, and this is all we can really do right now, let's assume that the 49ers will treat this from the in-house perspective to replace DeForest Buckner. Uh, how do you see, you know, the rotation working out, Matt? I know that the, the, you know, most talented guy that's flashed the most, at least so far on the inside um, that, you know, hasn't gotten a huge opportunity yet is probably DJ Jones. That being said, his body might look more like a one techniques body. We did see him explode and, and not look like a one technique this year. His burst looked, uh, you know, a, a lot faster and a lot more explosive than your typical nose tackle. So I can see DJ Jones uh, receiving a lot of the time filling in for Buckner at the three technique and really seeing an expanded role in 2020. But who else do you see in that mix and match so the 49ers can make up some of this lost production? Well, I, I love DJ Jones, too. Um, he's your starting nose tackle. Uh, so he's on the field on, on, on rundowns, on base downs. Uh, the, the issue with DJ Jones, and this is going back to Ole Miss, and, and the 49ers ran, in it, ran into it as well, is that he's had a tendency to, to wear down over the course of a season. So that, that's something that the 49ers have to be cognizant of. And if this guy is your nose tackle, he's playing you know base downs, and I'm not sure you want him. I don't, I'm not sure he has the ability to be a, uh, a three-down guy all the time. Now, uh, can you intersperse him in a uh, in a rotation uh, on third downs? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and he would be probably the, the top one on the list. He would be rushing from the inside next to Eric Armstead in, in those scenarios, and that would be a nice duo to have there. You know, the the other guys are Solomon Thomas. I mean, three technique has always been the the position that people say, okay, let's just have him. He's more of a, an inside rusher than an outside rusher. He should concentrate on three technique. This should be the opportunity to, to do that. He's going to be going into his con- uh, his uh, his final year. I don't think the 49ers are going to pick up his, uh, his fifth-year option. Uh, so this is the time to shine for Solomon Thomas. Um, Sheldon Day, I, I, I wish Dennis were here. He's a big Sheldon Day guy. He loves Sheldon Day. He's uh, looks like he's poised to hit unrestricted free agency, but he's another sort of uh, gap penetrating, three technique type of guy, and uh, I wonder if the 49ers would would sign him back. 
So, um, you know, that group, um, again, it's not, you know, nearly replacing DeForest Buckner, but I think you could get by with, uh, with those three guys. Oh, and, and one other guy um, that they really like is, is Kevin Givens, the uh, undrafted rookie from Penn State last year. He made the, uh, the active roster towards the end of the year, and he's sort of in that same mold as, as Sheldon Day. Smaller, low-to-the-ground, uh, penetrating type, and, and, and he's also a name that we should talk about at that three-technique te- uh, three spot. Yeah, and if you're going to become a sustainable power in the NFL, guys like Kevin Givens are going to have to to deliver because we just saw the cost of doing business with star power on a second contract. The 49ers are able to retain Eric Armstead, but it's going to cost an $85 million contract, and they weren't able to retain DeForest Buckner because that would have been an, an even more expensive contract. So at some point, you're going to have to make these Belichickian type of cuts or trades and get rid of guys who are going to be a little too pricey and you're going to have to get a decent amount of production in their place by guys who are way cheaper. So a player like Kevin Givens is a, is a great example. I mean, this is going to be a a player on a minimum deal, right? Second year guy. And if he can come in and give you 60 to 70% of what Buckner gave you, you know, something maybe even 50%, but on a, a 10th of the cost or even less, then I would say even a 20th of the cost, right? If Buckner's making 20 million a year. So if you can get that kind of production at a cheaper cost and then combine it with a committee of other guys who are also carrying above the weight of their contracts, then you could start to build a sustainable team within the salary cap. And we'll see if the 49ers have that kind of system in place. Let's move on to to the next deal. This one was also a big one. Jimmy Ward. $28.5 $28.5 million over three years, so that's 9.5 per season, and that makes him the 12th or 13th highest paid safety, depending on which metric you go by in the NFL. Uh, heading into this, Matt, I, I thought that if the 49ers could get Jimmy Ward for under $10 million a year, they would be able to swing it, and that's exactly what happened. At, at 9.5 annual average value, um, they're not, you know back in the Brinks truck up for him, but he does uh, earn the biggest contract of his career. I mean, this is a guy that was making about $4.5 million last year, and now it's up to uh, that that cap number. Uh, well, the cap number is actually lower this year, but it's up to that average of about nine point five. So more than double the pay now for, for Jimmy Ward, and he's obviously a guy who earned it with his play in 2019. But do you think that, that the 49ers were able to find a good bargain here for him to maintain some continuity in their secondary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's it's not just continuity in the in the secondary. It's it's some stability moving forward too. Um, he's now on a on a long term deal. A- everyone else uh, of note in that secondary is on a short term deal. Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, uh, they're all signed through this season, but that's it. And then the same with Jukowski Tart. He signed through twenty twenty, and then is scheduled to become a a, a free agent next year. So. That's going to be uh, a, a big deal moving forward. I mean, how uh, who's going to get extensions? Uh, how is this secondary going to look uh, in 2021? Because it, it could look entirely different. Um, and, and that may be something we need to concentrate more on as far as the draft. Maybe that's the, the position cornerback, um, that they, they bring in somebody who gets a, a year of tutelage under Richard Sherman, which is what every – young cornerback should aspire to get 
and then uh, uh, who knows what happens uh, w with Richard Sherman after that. But um, now that, uh, that that Ward is uh, in place for a few more years, at least they have that spot to sort of uh, serve as the anchor point. But um, I thought that was a good deal. Uh, you called it um, as far as uh, what you thought that they could get him back on. It, it all made perfect sense, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so they have Jimmy Ward. Remember, he's also a Swiss Army knife in terms of versatility, and that uh, can prove very, very valuable for a football team, especially if you start to have some injuries at other places in the secondary. Jimmy Ward can slide over, and I think the 49ers are slowly but surely starting to trust Tarvarius more, a little bit more at, at some of those safety spots. We saw him use him in the Super Bowl at a dime back kind of position, and um, he, he was in coverage on Travis Kelsey for that, costly pass interference at the goal line but outside of that Tarverius Moore delivered a few quality snaps during the Super Bowl you know under the brightest lights so uh, they still have him on the roster that helps fortify the depth there but I think you're absolutely right I think that cornerback is a position that they have to you know add some young talent at because Richard Sherman isn't getting any younger and those contracts are expiring why don't we move to to the running back room where the 49ers do have some uh, intriguing youth I mean it's a it's a combination of uh, guys who, who produced this year and a guy who we haven't seen play yet in the 49ers uniform now. But uh, what the 49ers did earlier this week was, uh, I think, interesting on multiple levels. First, they gave Matt Breida the second round tender, which cost them over a million dollars more than the, the, the lowest level tender. We, we weren't even sure if they're going to tender him at all because Matt Breida didn't really play down the stretch of... Uh, 2019 after uh, dealing with some fumbling issues but they they've committed to pay him at least 3.2 million dollars in 2020 and uh, that's it's quite the commitment for a team with less than 10 million dollars in salary cap space now and that move was paired by keeping Jarek McKinnon on a pay cut remember McKinnon signed that huge deal in 2018 well, that deal has been scrapped. The 49ers took it, ripped it up, threw it out the window, and re-signed McKinnon to the league minimum to keep him around. So we'll see if McKinnon actually plays now, if that knee is healed up enough. I'm sure that the 49ers have some good intelligence there, and they think that that he'll be able to contribute. But between him and Brita, those are two guys now that can complement Raheem Mostert and possibly even Tevin Coleman in the backfield. And it's just interesting because I think that the 49ers can go uh, a number of ways now with with who they have on the roster, including a potential trade of Matt Breida. I know we talked about this before we went on the show, but I think that after that tender, which surprised us both, the 49ers can go many different directions with him. Yeah, it would be something like uh, we've read a lot about tag and trade scenarios uh, as far as the franchise tag. This would be similar where you know the 49ers now have uh, Matt Breida, um, and, and in order to sign him away, you would have to fork over a second round pick. Maybe that's the basis of, of a, uh, of a trade with another team. I mean, uh, putting the second round pick on him tells me that, oh, okay, Matt Breida was getting some attention, um, that there was another team that was going to swoop in and sign him away if it was a lower tender offer. So maybe that's what the 49ers are thinking. And, and, you know, the, the tag and trade scenario is such that, uh, you know, nobody wants to sign a, a franchise tag player to an offer sheet because if the other team doesn't match, you have to fork over two first-round picks. So you do something for a little less. Like with D. Ford last year, the, the 49ers sent a second-rounder 
to uh, to the Chiefs. So with with Matt Breida, the scenario would be that another team sends a, a third round pick or a fourth round pick. These are picks that the 49ers currently don't have. So uh, that might be enticing to the 49ers. That's all conjecture. Uh, I don't know what's happening with that, but it was interesting when that happened. The other scenario is that uh, the 49ers might cut Tevin Coleman and free up some uh, salary cap space there, and that's why they needed to make sure that they held on to Matt Breida as as, as much as they could. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes down. The The interesting part with Jarek McKinnon is that, you know, back in February at the scouting combine, John Lynch said that, um, you know, McKinnon had been cleared. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's cleared to practice with the 49ers whenever that, uh, that may be, and that, that could be a while in the future given the coronavirus issues. But point being that um, they think that he's finally healthy. Now, we, we've heard that a couple of times, uh, and then once uh, Jarek McKinnon actually took the field and practiced at running back, uh, you know, and, and, and went through a, a full day, that knee did not hold up very well. That happened twice last year. So uh, that's still a big gamble moving forward. They certainly cannot rely on Jerk McKinnon being one of their their top backs at this point, but they're hoping that throughout the course of the offseason, they start, you know, can start to uh, ease those concerns a bit and that uh, he could be somebody that they lean on in 2020. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the big unknowns you listed it is Tevin Coleman because because of the fact the 49ers have less than $10 million in salary cap space to work with at the moment, you have to look at the candidates for release that would not incur any dead money. And at the top of that list right now is Tevin Coleman. They, they can cut clean of that contract, $4.9 million in cap savings. And I, I don't know what the 49ers' next move is going to be. I do know that they're going to need 6 to $7 million to sign this 2020 draft class. So uh, no team wants to enter the season right up against the cap because you want to leave yourself some flexibility during the year. So uh, I do feel that at least one more cut is coming. And and obviously Tevin Coleman tops the list uh, as far as potential savings go. But on the other side, you're not fully certain of your running back room at this point, as far as the health of it, because Jarek McKinnon obviously hasn't, I think, earned the right to, to be fully trusted yet, which is why he's now on a minimum contract. So, we will see uh, what happens moving forward. The 49ers obviously have time to make some of these moves. It's not like you have to cut Tevin Coleman right now. You're still under the cap, and that's where they need to be on the first day of the league year. But we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, the other tender, uh, I think, was much more expected. This was Kendrick Bourne, receiver. You know, there was some speculation the 49ers might give him the lowest level tender, but that was just going to be too risky. The lowest level tender cost $2.1 million. But what happens is... As a restricted free agent, other teams can start talking to Kendrick Bourne in that instance, and they can offer him a contract that's higher than the $2.1 million. And if the 49ers decide not to match it or if they can't match it, then they'd lose Kendrick Bourne for no compensation. So they essentially bought a one-plus million-dollar insurance policy by offering him the $3.3 million tender. And that means that it's a second round tender. That means that if Kendrick Bourne goes elsewhere and the 49ers can't match somebody else's offer, they'll get a second rounder in return from that team. And that makes it almost certain that Kendrick Bourne will be a 49er next year at that cost of $3.26 million. 
Yeah, and, and kudos to Kendrick Bourne. He went from undrafted uh, rookie uh, out of uh, Eastern Washington to a guy that the 49ers felt like they, they couldn't allow to get away. Uh, and, and they can't. I mean, just given everything that, uh, that transpired or, or hasn't transpired with their uh, wide receiver core. I mean, we're talking right now, and this could change over time, but uh, Emmanuel Sanders is, is, looks like he's going to hit uh, unrestricted free agency. Uh, there's certainly no guarantee that he comes back. And then we, we've talked about this uh, over the, the past few episodes, but just all sorts of question marks uh, uh, otherwise. Um, Debo Samuel, you've got. That's, that's one. <laughs> that's one of your, your six wide receivers. Everyone else, uh, you know, now that we've got Kendrick Bourne likely coming back, that's two. But the other four are, are now all big question marks. You know, Dante Pettis, question mark. Jalen Hurd, question mark. Uh, Richie James, uh, been more of a, a, a special teamer. Uh, Trent Taylor, question mark. So um, that's, uh, that, that's the reason why Kendrick Bourne gets a second-round tender. And like I said, good for him. Uh, he's got a, a nice chunk of change that uh, he, can, he can rely on right now. And then he also becomes a, an unrestricted free agent next year. So good incentive for him to have a really good year. I know that he would love to um, sign a, uh, a, a multi-year deal, a three-year deal. And that could come at some point during the season uh, if he gets off to a good start. I think keeping him motivated, keeping him focused is a big priority for the 49ers. He hasn't always had that uh, over his career uh, in college, but it's something that he's obviously starting to figure out, and it's paying off for him. And one more big one here before we just wrap up with the the micro deals, the the smaller reserve guys. But I think that you know this one is not getting a lot of press, but I think it's a huge component of what the 49ers hope to accomplish next year, especially since they lost DeForest Buckner. That's Ronald Blair. Uh, people have forgotten about Ronald Blair because he tore his ACL on a spectacular sack of. Russell Wilson, and I'll open this up by saying that not a lot of teams have backup defensive linemen who can chase Russell Wilson down in space, an elusive quarterback like that, the way that Ronald Blair did on the play that he tore his ACL. But the 49ers obviously had that depth along the front last year. I think they obviously started to really struggle along the front when that depth was all hurt, right? They lost Blair. They lost Demontre Moore. D. Ford was hurt at the top of the, the rotation there. So so that they were leaking oil over the last uh, month of the season. So I think that a guy like Ronald Blair, who, like Eric Armstead, is, is a versatile uh, player up front. I, I know he's not quite... He, the interior presence that Armstead can be, but they did line Ronald Blair up at multiple positions last year. I mean, this is a guy the coaching staff loves. Robert Sala famously said, if you like winning, you like Ronnie Blair. If you don't like winning, then you don't like Ronnie Blair. Well, the 49ers like winning. They like Ronald Blair. They brought him back on a one-year deal, and very likely, almost certainly, I would say, they got a big discount here, Matt, because – because of the ACL. If Ronald Blair does not tear his ACL last year and he continues playing at the pace that we saw him at while healthy, he's signing a big multi-year deal somewhere else. But the 49ers are able to keep him on that one-year prove-it deal. We don't know the exact terms yet, and I think that could end up being a huge glue piece of their defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is um, sort of one of the, the, the facets that the teams are dealing with, with all this coronavirus stuff and the fact that uh, they can't visit 
uh, the free agents can't visit and they can't have physicals and whatnot. The 49ers know very well how uh, Ronald Blair's knee is healing. And uh, last time I checked in, it was at the Super Bowl. I talked to Blair for about five minutes. Uh, it was going very well. Uh, he's ahead of schedule. He, he, he posted a, uh, a clip of him, and I think he was at Dr. Andrews Clinic. Uh, he, he wasn't in uh, at the 49ers facility. He's uh, where he's doing his, his rehab, but he was running. Um, and it wasn't a very smooth run because he, he had just started to do that. But Point being that, um, you know, everything is on course for him to be able to play on, you know, September 10 or whatever the, the first week of the season is for the 49ers. And you're right, he, it, it, it's a big deal. He's not a starter, but this is the team that likes to have uh, eight defensive linemen in uniform. And, um, you know, he's a guy that uh, will give you a bunch of snaps at defensive end. That's where, uh, you know, that, that play that you were referring to where he – not only sacked Russell Wilson, but that's where he also uh, tore his ACL. That's where he was lining up on that play. But he also can be one of these guys that lines up inside. And you see that the 49ers do that quite a bit. Even Nick Bosa does it from time to time. But it gives you a little bit of, of juice, certainly in third and long situations. And um, he's certainly one of the guys that can sort of fill in and uh, you know be part of that unit that's having to kind of uh, step in for the big gap that, uh, that they're losing with uh, DeForest Buckner going to, to Indy. Final two are backup offensive linemen. I mean, I don't want to minimize this because, uh, as we saw last year, backup offensive linemen turned into starting offensive linemen in huge games, including the Super Bowl for the 49ers. I mean, it was really a season characterized by the contributions that the 49ers got from their reserves. But uh, these are smaller deals, uh, financially, uh, financially at least. And uh, they've gone to Sean Coleman, backup swing tackle. And or I guess a swing tackle is by definition a backup. So they've gone to Sean Coleman and to Ben Garland, backup center, who ended the season as the 49ers starting center. The 49ers might have gotten a discount on Sean Coleman. We don't have the exact numbers yet. Uh, for the same reason they got a discount on Ronald Blair because he finished the season on IR. Coleman um, hurt himself uh, during the first preseason game last year. So... Uh, he, he's a guy that uh, can you know, pl play the role that we saw Justin School and Dan Brunskill play last year, Matt. And uh, because of that, uh, the 49ers, it might be a hint, right, that the 49ers are thinking of kicking Dan Brunskill into a more full-time role on the inside and, and maybe into competition for that, that right guard spot since they now have Coleman to team up with Justin School at the backup tackle position. Right. Now they've got uh, an abundance of tackles, and not many teams can say that, but they've got uh, Joe Staley, they've got Mike McGlinchey, they've got School, they've got Brunskill, and they've got Coleman. That's five tackles. Um, uh, you're right. I, I think that, that that's pointing towards, uh, especially since they didn't sign any interior linemen, um, we saw that they were looking at uh, maybe one or two, Connor McGovern. Uh, they were reportedly in on him. He ends up signing elsewhere, but uh, the point being that this all sort of points to Brunskill sort of focusing on uh, the interior line, and probably, you're right, uh, a competition with Mike Person at right guard this year. So you've got your backups basically at, at every spot. I mean, it seems like they're done at offensive line. I don't know that for sure, but uh, they, uh, the, the way it would run down is that you've got Coleman and School being your backups to tackle. You've got uh, Brunskill being, or, or 
person, depending on who wins, being the uh, the backup guard, and you've got Ben Garland being the backup center, and uh, you know that's that's pretty much status quo from last year. But um, I, I would say that that compared to every other team in the NFL is is a pretty good uh, uh, piece of depth there at uh, at that offensive line spot. Yeah, I do agree. They're probably done in free agency. You mentioned McGovern. He he is the number eight pass blocking center in football, but he had a lot of experience playing right guard before he moved to center for the Broncos. So it seemed like the perfect kind of guard center fit for the 49ers who could take over at right guard for Mike Person, play next to Western Richburg and make that line really good as far as pass protection but he ended up costing 27 million dollars and and uh that that's what the jets gave him over three years and you just look at the 49ers numbers right now they can't afford that so it seems like the 49ers are done as far as you know uh being able to pick up a a marquee impact lineman immediately they didn't do that at all obviously this year just because they are up against the salary cap and uh, the only thing I would caution is don't uh, think that that number 13 overall pick can't go to an offensive lineman Uh, you know everybody's gonna be talking about receivers over the next few weeks and um, maybe rightfully so Uh, it's obviously a stock class of receivers but if you look at you know what the 49ers did in 2018, for example, everybody thought they're going to pick an edge rusher or some kind of defensive player in that first round with the number nine overall pick, but they went ahead and got Mike McGlinchey. I think something similar can happen this year. It's a really deep class of offensive tackles, and I think they they, they might pick Joe Staley's successor uh, because Staley's going to be 35, and and they could potentially find a guy who's versatile enough to fill in right away in the interim before Staley retires as right guard to fill one of this team's biggest weaknesses. I don't think it's an accident they were going after McGovern yesterday. So the possibilities are endless, but I do agree with you. I do think they're done signing along the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, uh, wide receiver has gotten all the attention in this draft, but you're right. Uh, offensive tackle is, is right behind it. Um, and that's that's uh, you know one of these big-ticket positions that when a, a good offensive tackle becomes available – teams jump on them because they are so hard to find. And if you're a team like the 49ers who expects to be picking, you know, in in the 30s every year, and all of a sudden you've got a, a chance to pick at number 13, um, you, you may be onto something here that that's, you don't let that opportunity pass up and you take that big ticket item when you can. Um, you know, most of these guys, though, if you're picking at number 13, um, I, I don't know how easy it is to slip inside and play guard, but uh, maybe maybe you can find that that perfect guy that could do that for a few years and then kick out to tackle. Um, but um, it, it, bottom line, the, the the Forrest Buckner trade has made our April a lot more interesting than it would have been had they not traded him because uh, uh, having the 31st pick and then no picks until the fifth round, I think that would have been pretty boring for for the, the media who are covering uh, the NFL and, and the 49ers. Yeah. Suddenly the 49ers have capital, both draft and, and some financial capital, which they use to re-sign some guys. And, hey, maybe they still have another move up their sleeves. Like we said, about $9 million in space. They could free up about $10 million more. They could, By the end of the day, they could have $20 million if they wanted to, if they made some of these cuts. And maybe it's a tad bit above that. They're obviously not going to do that today. But they may sign somebody today. Who knows? It's the opening day of free agency. And we've just covered the nine transactions the 49ers have made so far in, in detail. This is one of our longer episodes ever. So um, I I think 
the current situation calls for a long episode, though. A, we have some time on our hands, and B, I know that our listeners probably have some time on their hands at home. So hopefully uh, this helps you get through the day and uh, gets you excited for football season whenever that may come after all of this has cleared up. So we hope that you guys are all taking care of yourselves. Matt, uh, you're taking care of yourself down in San Jose, right? Yeah, I'm uh, ordering food. Uh, I had a big wine delivery yesterday, so I'm I'm good for at least uh, three or four weeks. Uh, my buddy went to the Safeway the other day, and he said that he said that uh, yeah, I, I got to the store and I saw everybody just hoarding food, and uh, I actually didn't know what food to get, so I just filled up a big bucket of wine and left. <laughs> yeah, nothing but the wine. It was a completely productive trip, according to him. But he didn't get any food; he just got wine. Well, you saw what I, uh, my video from, this was like 10 days ago too, which kind of shows you uh, how it's been down here for a while. But I was in uh, a grocery store in Santa Clara County and all the soup was gone except for one. And uh, there were three cans of cream of celery left. All the other ones cleaned out. But people decided that, eh, I'd rather starve than than eat cream of celery. So I think that was a good um uh, showing on what people's least favorite soup is, uh, cream of celery. And I, by the way, I have one can. I only took one of the three. I'm not a hoarder, uh, but that might be the last thing that's remaining in my cupboard. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> if wild. This goes long. It, you know, it's wild to me is that the oranges, like all the citrus aisles, are completely stocked and full. So p- people are hoarding the the, the wrong things. You you, you want to load up on some vitamin C right now. You know, not just for coronavirus but uh, when everybody's inside and stuff i just feel that you you want to you want to bolster that immune system a little bit against other stuff so yeah i I um, would pay 500 bucks for that bag of oranges yeah well that will make my dad happy he grows oranges down in the in the central valley so i I know i tweeted about that i I did have an ulterior motive i'm trying to drive the demand up for for my dad's uh for my dad's business down there so buy all the oranges buy all the grapefruits that, that that you can they'll They'll make you healthy. I think that's I'm, good uh, advice. I'm definitely pro orange. Does does he do, does he do kiwi fruit? I love kiwi fruit too. Uh, no, he does. He does these oranges. A lot of them they export out to Japan. They call them sumo oranges because they look like uh, sumo wrestler belly buttons. They have on, <laughs> how, on how big are these oranges, David? They, they they are big. They're they're bigger than your normal orange. I'll bring a bag once I'm allowed to be within six feet of you. I'll I'll, I'll bring you some some oranges. Yeah, just leave them at my door. Knock three times. Two two quick. One uh, slow, and then I'll I'll let uh, I'll let you leave, and then I'll pick them up. That's Perfect. How we'll do it. Sounds good. I, I may actually be on my way to Central Valley at some point if we just stay locked in here the whole time. So maybe I'll go through San Jose and um, on the way back and, and, and get you some oranges. No, I will not turn down a bag of oranges. Sumo oranges. That sounds delicious. <laughs> I, I, I think that we forgot this wasn't a phone call and we're still on the podcast, but uh, the, the <laughs> listeners will love it too. We can give out free oranges for people who answer trivia questions, right? If uh, they come into high enough demand. Anyway, um, for Matt Barrows, uh, for Dennis Brown as well, Dennis wasn't able to be here today, so uh, we'll uh, have him on the, the next show. But uh, it, it's always fun to get all three of us together, but I'm sure Dennis will have plenty of thoughts about the 49ers free agency when we next convene. So anyway, for Dennis Brown and for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Everybody take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you guys next time on Here's the Catch.